Hey there, history fans. Welcome back to the History Explains It All podcast, where we cover a variety of historical topics from the Stone Age to the Modern Age. I'm Lauren. I'm Melissa. And on today's episode, we are covering Victorian makeup. You voted on it, you got it. And as an added bonus, we had way too much fun doing the research for this. There'll be a bonus episode on Victor- Victorian hair care. Oh, yeah. Later oh, yeah. On. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So many notes. <laughs> and if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a rate and review. We'd really appreciate it. It also helps people find us. Yay! And if you'd like, you can contact us through our email at historyexplainsall at gmail.com or you can go to our Facebook and Instagram pages, which is History Explains It All underscore podcast. Where, by the way, we also have our Today in History segment on our Instagram page, as well as Archaeology in the News. There's some, speaking of Archaeology in the News, I found some really interesting stuff on Pompeii that came out in the last couple of weeks since our Pompeii episode went out. (laughs) well i think you should send it my way then so that i can share it with everybody oh will do because there was this really cool one about this guy's grave apparently he was a slave and he rose up to like the high don't say everybody don't say it don't you're giving it away before it even goes on the instagram page (sighs) she's cheating she's cheating (sighs) also our instagram page is where we put up polls like the one we did for this episode you see the poll please vote because i had to go searching for i had to keep putting it up because it kept getting tied (laughs) well it does seem like we got a whole lot more new users too or users listeners thank you (laughs) you're welcome it's been a long day it's evening now you're excused from mistakes (laughs) i'm gonna make several as you know yeah, I mean, just in the last week alone, uh, our program tracks it every week and tells us how many plays we've had from throughout all of our episodes. Mm-hmm. 65, which is pretty high for us. So, yay. Thank you for everybody who's been listening. Yes, especially since, you know, we're, we're only a year old as a podcast. So that's, we're still gaining ground here. And we appreciate you listening and coming back. And we hope you enjoy. So, in today's episode, it is all about Victorian makeup. It's really all about Victorian, like, care more than just makeup, because... Lack of Victorian makeup, quote, unquote. Giving things away before we get into the topic. (laughs) Because I also have stuff on hands and, like... A little bit on hair and perfume and stuff like that although we're going to much more detail than hair on another bonus episode we we will because i had way too much fun me too but take it away all right so i get the first section and this is essentially the purpose of makeup during victorian times which was to say that there really wasn't one because <laughs> <laughs> If you've ever seen pictures of people from the Victorian times, particularly in colorized photos, they're wearing practically nothing except rosy cheek powder, which is not completely true, but it's not as full on makeup as say the Georgian period. It was a, a, a lot less. So according to some Victorian papers, uh, one of my sources was noting, quote, 
A woman must always make herself a beauty in order to find and keep a happy husband. A pretty face was also a welcome sight by men, as it was very important to keep their spirits up, especially during difficult times. That was pretty much the only purpose for a female back then was to get a husband and have kids. And if you wore sure makeup, stray. if you wore makeup, you weren't going to get yourself a husband. But, well, hold on, hold on the butt, hold on yeah. to the butts. I'll be back in a second. So, <laughs> as was very, very common in Victorian times, many people were very, very religious. Not surprising, but it was very important for people to have faith not only at church, but also faith while at home as well. And it was very, as I'm sure everyone's heard this phrase, cleanliness is next to godliness. This came out of the Victorian times because people were actually bathing a bit more. Even if you don't think that they were, they were, it's just not as frequently as we do today because there wasn't anything called indoor plumbing. You were bathing in a tub, a very small tub, but rem natural remedies were okay to use as Lauren will talk about later, but the use of aesthetics or makeup as we know it to change the way that your face looked was an affront to your religion. A proper Victorian lady had quote, uh, had to have a healthy living use only pure water, and was also encouraged her courage to find herself inner contentment with life because she wasn't leaving the house anyway. So it was believed that good habits and a good attitude contributed greatly to a healthy lifestyle as well as beauty. Victorian ladies would be encouraged to rise early to make their lips bright, eat a light diet so as not to have any acne, and to go out for walks as it made her cheeks rosy. I think it makes you sweat, but I like a good walk. It does make you sweat, especially like just look at all those clothes they had to wear back then too. Oh, oh no, and and not just the amount of clothes, but the materials they were made out of too. Ugh. So <laughs> I've said this before. I would love to be a reenactor at Williamsburg, not <laughs> during the summer, never during the summer. I don't know how they would do it, but mind you, it's a lot worse now than it was then in terms of weather. But still, yeah. So if you were to wear makeup during the Victorian times, and many women did wear makeup, but you had to be discreet about it. If you were seen buying makeup, people would gossip about you. It, the proper Victorian lady would not apply makeup in public because to have the appearance of even wearing makeup was socially unacceptable. So it was either literally nothing or something to make it look like nothing. Now. Wearing something, oh, as I said, yeah, wearing something to enhance your beauty while at the same time making it look like you're not wearing anything at all. And there is a quote from a, a, it's a book, I'm presuming, called Gems of Deportment from 1881, which was a how-to guide on how to be a proper lady. There were plenty of these going on around the time. And there's a quote from there, and it's, and after dressing for the evening, look again at your reflection in the mirror and study the effect. Do you resemble a painted doll or an elegant woman? Is the expression killed by cosmetics or proved by it? Sums it all up. So the standard ideal was to have as pale a face as possible with no color changes at ever. No tans, no freckles, no signs of redness, you know, normal stuff for a face as this was seen as the, the the pure paleness of one's skin was seen as a sign of purity 
also an indication that, again, the woman never left the house. And in addition to that, she was supposed to have rosy cheeks, which would give her the appearance of health and youth, as well as well-trimmed eyebrows to aesthetically frame her face. And as many books over time have noted since the Victorian times, Victorian women did not decide on how they should look. Society told them what was acceptable. If a woman did not follow these ideal social norms and practices during the Victorian times, she would be seen as lacking any kind of morality, virtues, or values. And yet many women wore makeup. It was just very discreet about it. Very light makeup. Yes. In comparison to like what we what we think today of as makeup. Yeah. Light. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was kind of like this sort of makeup I wear, which is usually nothing. But if I do put something on, it's a very light layer of something, except for lipstick. I like lipstick. Lipstick is fun. Lipstick and eyeshadow. But I keep it natural tone because I'm not brave enough to wear bold colors. Yeah, you're not like me. Not when it comes to makeup. I will wear bold colored clothing, but I'm makeup, no, accessorized, sure. Yeah, I, I wear heavier makeup than you, but it's not like out of this world, YouTube personality heavy like that I don't wear it like that that's too much makeup for me but all right so now we're going to move on to the ideal beauty standard which Melissa kind of talked about already which was of course you never let yourself go quote end quote you you were meant to keep a woman was meant to keep her pretty face and it was to it was to keep it was to one get a husband two keep the husband happy so that he would not stray which none of that was true if you read anything about victorian men or actually just men in the past in general is mistresses were a very common thing but also it was to quote lift the spirits end quote of any other man that she came in contact with i'm not really sure how that works but sure Basically, the beauty standards during the Victorian era were majorly for men. Hmm. Sound familiar? But uh, women did take pride in their beauty as well. And Melissa already mentioned that in the religious sector of Victorian life, which was a very large part of Victorian life, of course, a, a woman's natural beauty was seen as a gift from God and therefore should not be enhanced by using products. Also, a lot of people feared by using makeup, you'd be clogging your pores. Which is not untrue. It does. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is why you should clean your face regularly and not sleep in your makeup. Oh, yeah. If you're sleeping in makeup, not I mean, one, you know, an accidental time because you're too tired. Okay. But just frequently, not good. Yeah. There's too many chemicals in the makeup to begin with. Yeah. Like I take mine off every night when I'm wearing it, which isn't often anymore. I really don't wear it to work because it's too hot. So the ideal beauty standard was that one should have pale skin, rosy cheek, and dark eyes. That was the ideal image. As well as dark hair, by the way. They actually liked women to have dark hair, which is interesting. Well, I mean, everyone fashioned themselves after Victoria, who was brown-haired and brown-eyed, slender and pale. I mean, it it is the Victorian era we are speaking of. Well, in fact, I mean, people were coming coming out of the Victorian regions, I'm sorry, coming out of the Regency area into the Victorian area, people were wearing a lot more makeup, at least the higher end nobility. When Victoria came in, 
she did not like makeup. She's never, she never liked makeup for a variety of reasons. So obviously you've gotten to look to your queen for guidance. And if she says makeup is bad, I don't like makeup. No one else is likely going to like to want to wear makeup either because your queen is telling you not to. Yes. True, true. But to get into basically what one does in this time. So actually, I'm not even going to start with the makeup. Know what I'm going to start with, Melissa? Jewelry? No. Oh, fingers. Hands and fingers. Knees and toes? Hands and fingers, knees and toes, knees and toes. (laughs) But set yourself up for it. I could not resist it. It's okay. I sang it. But (laughs) so if we think back, the majority of women during this time were not of the upper echelon of the classes. The majority of women were working class women who worked for the upper echelon. So a lot of women were actually having to do a lot of heavy duty work, which ruined their hands and their fingernails. It left their, it, it of course left things like calluses. They were doing things like laundry and kitchen work and cleaning of the house and all of the above things. Not to mention it's the industrial revolution. So if, if you're like the children of a housewife, even if you're a girl, you're off to the factories to help make stuff. So your hands are going to get dirty there too. Exactly. So in, in the con- consistent use, cause they would either use hot water or cold water and wash their hands a lot. In that sense, they had a hand washing bowl cause they didn't have sinks in the way we think of them. It, it would really do damage to your skin, this cold or hot water. There's a reason we say use lukewarm water. It would cause, it could cause things like arthritis, early set in, things like that. It really affected the body. So if someone, for example, already had these beautiful hands that were basically really well manicured, because manicure was actually a thing back then. I didn't know that until I did the research for this episode. Uh, perfectly manicured, no calluses, nice and pale, and looked like they were hydrated. Basically, it was a sign of idleness. Like you were of the upper echelon and you didn't work really hard. I didn't know manicures were a thing either. Would you like to share this book that you're reading from? No, it's mine. Just kidding. So I'm actually, uh, part of my research, I actually found a book titled How to Be a Victorian, A Dauntedus Guide to Victorian Life by author Ruth Goodman, who she talks in this book and she actually has tried several of these uh, methods herself. So it, it makes it really cool. So basically you had to have these beautiful hands and no nail biting, your hands needed to be absolutely clean. You can't see even a little dry patch. You shouldn't be able to see dry, dryness or any form of things like eczema which it existed back then. Of course it did. And actually, uh, I'm actually going to qu- take a quote from a quote that she took. So the lady's everyday book, she quoted, they should be of an o- oval figure, transparent without specks or ridges of any kind. The semi-lunar fold or white half sucker- circle should be fully developed and the cuticle, which forms the configuration around the root of the nails, thin and well-defined, and when properly arranged, should represent as nearly as possible the shape of a half filbert, end quote. 
So they had very specific requirements, even for your fingers. When you say half filibert, are you referring to a hazelnut? Mm-hmm. I think okay. I believe that's what it's talking about, but there was no specification even in the book. So I kind of went looking for it and that's what really came up. But I think it, because it is talking about, you know, that little half moon that you get at like the top of your nail by your cuticle area. So that does make sense. And basically a, a lady would sit at her vanity and she would have a pair of nail scissors and like today, like we do when we go to a nail salon, you know, you get, you, you soak your nails in some water, right? Some warm, nice warm water. They did the same thing. They would soak their nails and to keep them clean. Are you ready? What's the astringent that they would use, Melissa? I'm going to ask you this. It's an all natural astringent that we, we use in a lot of stuff today. Oh, today? Vinegar. Uh, no. But it is a fruit. I'll give you that. Tea tree oil? That's also an astringent. Oh, that's not a fruit. I'm sorry. That is. I was like, that's not a fruit. (laughs) Apple cider vinegar. Lemon. That always works too. Citrus is a great astringent. Exactly. So they would actually take a piece of lemon and scrub their nail with it to make it nice and clean and transparent. I'm I'm sorry. A transparent nail? Yeah, they wanted transparency. So they thinned out their nail bed. Via scrubbing with a lemon. You're scouring your nail to make it thinner. Well, they're not using like a nail buffer. It was literally just a lemon to take away the color. What color? It's natural. It's pink. Yes, but they wanted to get rid of that, even though that's like the natural color underneath your your nail bed. It's really your skin that's poking through. But yeah, they tried to get rid of the color. Did it actually work? I have no idea. I've never seen a Victorian person's nails. But <laughs> but they would take a lemon and after, after soaking their nails in the water, they would use the lemon. It was like a natural form of, of bleaching the nail. So less of taking away the nail bed, but bleaching the color. So if anything was dirty on there, it wasn't there after scrubbing with that lemon for a while. (laughs) And then after that, again, the nails would go into the warm water and they would be soaked. And then came, you know, they would, they didn't really have nail files that I know of. I mean, they kind, not, not the nail file we think of today. Again, everything is very different back then, but there was a nail file, but they would trim their nails with the scissors, kind of buffer them out and make them smooth and and that round oval shape that was a necessity and then they would end up using a leather buffer that's how they made the nail shiny you know we use a buffer today they just used a leather one that's new not i would not have thought that it's new information but it's not a new concept according to the victorians Hmm. Mm -hmm. they would actually use that buffer for a very specific time of five minutes Five minutes per hand to buff the nails. A minute per nail. I don't see that as being too unusual. As long as you're not doing it every day. Oh, this was a daily thing. Scouring your your fingers with lemon was a daily thing. All right. You had to make sure you were clean, neat, and perfect. Everything that was unsightly had to be removed every single day. I wonder if the lemon also worked as a way of like deep cleaning under the nails too. Quite possibly. It doesn't mention any of that, 
and uh, lemon lemon was used for a lot of things still is oh yeah oh yeah well i mean if you talk to a dermatologist today they're like don't use lemon not on your face yeah that and sugar scrubs but back then and and coffee scrubs don't use coffee scrubs the micro tears on your face yes also you don't want to put lemon on your hair unless you want to actually bleach your hair which is oh yeah not good for your hair so bad it's good to eat ingest it put it in your water (laughs) it keeps away scurvy (laughs) or as we learned in the narwhal weird history so does narwhal yeah that too i will quote this for you quote daily scrubbing of the face and hands as well as the nails with this with a slice of lemon was thought to be an essential part of the morning beauty regime end quote Okie dokie. But again, a lot of women couldn't do all this stuff. They were out farming. They were washing laundry, which back then is in boiling water and putting your clothes in. And so you're probably using a lot of lye as well, which is quite corrosive. Doesn't mention any of that. There were a lot of things that were used with lye back then. Yeah, that's true. A lot of a lot of lard is used in a lot of these products too. Oh, I meant for washing, but lard for cosmetics. Yes, I meant I meant lye was used in a lot of washing. Oh, as my misunderstanding of where you were going with that. You were talking. I I thought. I'm sorry. When you said washing, I'm thinking washing the clothes, not washing the body. Yes, and we're gonna skip hair because I have so much on hair that that will take like an extra hour and a half that the hair itself all the hair care made a lot more sense to me and when we do go over it I will definitely share some videos online mm-hmm. if anyone's interested that I know I've shared with Lauren on some youtubers that I enjoy watching that have actually tried some of these hair care methods and I actually follow some of their hair care methods. So technically I follow some of these Victorian hair care methods as well too. Yeah, I mean, even I follow some of them from what I've read. It's, it's stuff that when it comes to the hair care, which as we said, we'll do a whole episode on. When it comes to the hair care, we have carried over a lot of things from that time period into the present day. A lot of it was literally all natural as in it was just, mostly oils and more oils for the most part. Uh, but there was a, a lot of it, the hair care, as you'll find out in our bonus episode, when we actually record it, post it, we'll let you know. A lot of it's very kind of common sense in terms of how to keep your hair from drying out, how to keep a moisturized scalp, how to get away dandruff and product buildup is very sensible hair care if, if it, there's a way to calling it yes like i said even i use a lot of that stuff today because i have dandruff lord above yeah the, the makeup however was not quite sensible it, the makeup is just weird but before we go into that i am going to talk fine-tunely about facial hair I'm sorry oh. facials or facial hair facial hair oh and your eyebrows ah. and your mustache yes actually so very similarly to what women do today i don't know about you but i rarely go and get my eyes waxed eyebrows waxed anymore it it's a every once in a while when i let it grow so out of control that i i just can't be bothered to sit in front of the mirror for an hour and use tweezers 
Um, I just let mine grow. They're kind of thinned out anyway there, but uh, the natural yep. look is my look. So that's true. But I have big bushy eyebrows that if I let go of, if I let it get out of control, they take over my face. <laughs> okay. <laughs> kind of like um, the before makeover in Princess Diaries. Yeah, kind <laughs> of, but a little bit less bushy than that. And so women back then would actually pluck their eyebrow hairs to bring out an arch just like we do today we just wax pluck or we use laser hair removal or we use shapers or the threaders too I, I, i've or had my eyebrows threaded it's kind of interesting i like it i've never had a threading done before we can try that when you come visit if you want no okay then <laughs> so they they did actually do things like light plucking and things like that and a mustache was also a concern for women back then too and actually did you know that uh electro electrolysis or electrolysis depends on how you like the pronunciation came into existence in the last five years of victoria's reign yep i didn't know that until i read this book on it and just i, I don't know if anyone knows what that is but basically at the time a needle was placed okay i'm just actually going to quote this a fine quote, a fine needle was placed at the root of each hair into the follicle itself and a small electric current passed along the needle, end quote. We use it to this day, but it's a lot different. Like technology has advanced so much that it's become something else. I mean, nowadays there's micro needling as well too, mm-hmm. but you're, I mean, the Victorian era was pretty much the age of electricity. I mean, the Chicago World's Fair is Oh yeah, I mean, pretty much a standard industrial, right <laughs> industrial revolution. It's when the Victorian era is when machines for things like cotton came into existence and stuff like that. It's literally the machine revolution. They took over. <laughs> <laughs> They're taking over today too. If you had <sighs> when we go and uh, when we have the section when we go over the different advertisements, I'm literally looking at an advertisement from the website I told you about. I'm just going to mention it. I won't go into the advertisement, but the top of the advertisement, there's two different ones. And it literally says Dr. Scott's electric hair curler and toothbrush. They're two separate things, not the same thing. Oh, okay. I was confused. There <laughs> that's what I thought first too. And that's what, yeah. But they literally had electric toothbrushes back then as well. I'm not sure if they, how they vibrated, but they also have electric combs, which is also kind of a thing that's sort of picking up steam right now too. Technically, I have one. Well, I mean, technically, it is a comb shape and it's electronic. I'll plug okay. it in. Sh- While well, you, you keep talking, I'll plug it in. I'll show you. That, that'd be interesting. So, you know, women worried about the same things we have concerns about today. Their nails, their hair, their, their facial hair, all that stuff. And let's get into the makeup. Yes, I'm so excited. If a woman wore makeup, it was the question of what is she hiding? What's underneath all that makeup? Although again, it's not a lot of makeup. A lot of women followed, like Melissa said, the the natural way. A lot of just cold water cleaning and just going as natural as they could by getting colors that way. But some, but they would use things like what we call, what, what are cold creams, what were called cold creams, which are still in existence today by the way, for example, Pons is a company that makes cold creams. Cold creams have been around since long before the Victorian era as well. That's true. But it, they were huge in the Victorian era. 
Oh, I see. Okay. Do you she want me to tell home. you now or do you want to wait? Go for it. Tell a little bit about it before we get too deep into makeup. So what I'm showing her is this uh, neon electric hair comb thing. Uh, it's something I found on Amazon that seemed really interesting. I've used it occasionally. It does help to sort of smooth out the hair and I have dry hair. Yes, you do. I have thick hair, curly thick hair, and it hates hot and cold weather. <laughs> and humidity is not my friend. Must be horrible right now for you. That's why 90% of the time it's got it's pulled back into a bun. Not even a ponytail, but a bun. Although I am looking at some different hairstyles and maybe like a faux bun and some braids. Mm. Just to perk up the style a bit. Back to the makeup. <laughs> All right. It's okay. It was actually really cool. Makeup was makeup also had a lot of concerns, as we mentioned earlier, like it does today, clogging pores, so on and so forth. A ton of health risks came with wearing makeup back then. A lot more than we have today. Because they use things like go, Melissa, go. Let's see. What did they have? Mercury, arsenic, ammonium, lead. <laughs> I mean, if, if we think about it, makeup has had poisonous things in it for centuries by this time, because during Elizabeth the first reign, for example, her white face paint, blood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, even Known, in, in the Victorian times, I mean, there was, okay, I know we quote from it often, but it's just such a great show. And stupid deaths from weird history. There's <laughs> your favorite section as is everybody's who watches the show but there's this one stupid death where this lady comes on she was a, a countess of something or other i can't remember but she comes on and she's the character looks really old and death is making fun of her saying oh oh you're really old he's like okay tell me how you died because i'm sure it's a stupid death and she goes yeah i died at 26 he goes hun you look 86 she goes yeah excuse me and she's like what happened she goes i was putting on this this lead paint to hide my smallpox scars and then that didn't work so i applied more paint and i applied more paint and then i died of lead poisoning which apparently was quite common oh yeah it didn't kill elizabeth that's not what killed her although it did destroy her face when would... she wore more i would say it might be a contributing factor but maybe not solely by lead poisoning oh yeah no, it's known, uh, it's not believed that she died of lead poisoning because she was wearing it for years and years and years, decades. And it's not just women her either. Men also wore some of oh. this paint as well, but more so in the pre-Victorian times, particularly in the Regency area, in, at least in Britain. Yes. Yes. I was just using it as an example to go far back, you know. Right. To, to kind of make a comparison that it's been around for centuries at this point, because Elizabeth died in 1603, if I remember. Yep. This is the 1800s. Yep. This is 200 years later. Yep. And, and it's still in cosmetics. Still there. Technically, it's still in cosmetics to this day. It's just in a much smaller dose of well, certain brands. Yes. And the dose makes the poison. So, yes. So... A huge thing. It, it was also believed that, you know, if you blocked your pores, you couldn't let out your perspiration and you would, you poisoned yourself by like keeping it all in there. Yep. Which makes sense. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It also, also, if someone wore cosmetics, it meant that they were not healthy people. Generally, yeah. A yeah. lot of the cosmetics that you'll also see back then that are still around today is, I forget the name of the bug, but there's this particular cochineal, I think is what it's called. Cochineal beetle. Beetle. Yes, thank you. It's a bug that when crushed, it gives you that pretty reddish pink color. And that's in a lot of dyes today too. Oh yeah, it was in food coloring until recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know that it's safe to ingest, but it was used. Oh, again, the dose makes the poisoning kind of situation there. It came out of, it's no longer in food dye. It became banned very, very recently. It's now we just in our red, no, red dye number five and blue dye number four. What, you know, those are hardly any better, if not at all. One's chemical and one's natural. Yeah, they're still both really bad for you. They're synthetic. Let, let's just let's just put it this way one comes from a bug and one comes from a lab yeah so yeah it, it it all had an effect but here was the thing it was kind of like this double standard situation you can't have acne you freckles even back then were seen as a not pretty thing like i love freckles they're cute freckles are really well loved today i don't there's nothing wrong with it. It's your skin. It's natural. Like you love your freckles, love your freckles. You don't love your freckles. I don't know what to tell you, but personally, I think the freckles adds personality. I think freckles are just unique. They're really cute. And so it was a huge thing. And, but at the same time, so you're supposed to get rid of your freckles somehow, which back then was using lemon on your face. And you were not supposed to have any form of acne, you, you basically had to be that perfect pale skin, rosy cheek, dark eyed woman all the time. You know what it reminds without me without product. You know, what was also a really big thing in the Victorian times. And I have a little anecdote to go along with this. What were people bringing back from Greece, Rome? Well, mostly Greece and Rome because Egypt didn't have marble, the statues, right? The, the British Museum was acquiring, quote unquote, marble statues. And if anyone's ever seen even a replica of Greece, Grecian Roman marble statues, they're white because the paints all come off. They were originally colored. But that was essentially the beauty ideal to be this pristine, pure alabaster marble statue. And the anecdote I have, I don't remember the guy's name, but there is this one story that's very popular from the time where this I guess I don't know if he's a businessman or he was he was sort of a well-known figure but not super well-known but he was very he's more like a well-known figure in his expertise kind of area but he he fell in love with this girl or woman and thought she was really really beautiful and they got married and of course they were consummating the marriage and when he'd been around these marble statues. So he thought all women's bodies look like these marble statues, especially when naked, oh, super yes. pale, no hair, smooth, no stretch marks, nothing. He right, right. He had this particular ideal of beauty based off of these naked women, Greek and Roman statues that no longer had paint on them. And when he saw his wife for the first time naked, he thought she was horrendous and then filed for divorce not long afterwards. 
guess he had lived a very lonely life after that. I, I imagine he probably did. But back to makeup. So as I was saying, a lot of women who, if they used cosmetics, were considered bad people. Actresses and prostitutes, mainly. Yes. But it was also a sign that you were choosing, like, this horrible lifestyle that wasn't good for you. Not, not just actresses, but, like, anybody that used it. And actually, because, ready for this? This actually helped with their own social status. The poor women, because they could not afford it, did not wear makeup. And that actually helped lift them socially. Oh, what a weird thing. And as I said, a lot of people thought, if she's wearing makeup, what is she hiding? They thought it was a form of deceit. Not then, but certainly nowadays with all face contouring, I would have to ask that question, but not necessarily back then. My face is contoured right now and it looks the same as it normally does. Have you seen some of these other videos online? Yeah, it's also called a filter. There's that too, but there's also, you can contour in certain ways that'll change your face to look slightly different. Oh yeah. Different tones, that's what I'm saying. And then you take it off and the face looks unrecognizable from it did when it was when it had makeup. Oh yeah. Yes, I'm saying. Absolutely, but I mean, whatever makes you feel better. Yeah, and, and it brought about the question was also not only was what was she hiding, but also uh, is she deceitful in other ways? I don't know about any of that. Uh, a lot of makeup or skincare. It's like a combination back then because cold creams and stuff like and moisturizer and things like that were in existence. And that's really what they used and considered makeup back then. A lot of skincare actually fell under medicinal uses back then. It gave it a more, it allowed it to be used without any public backlash. Yes. Mm -hmm. Public backlash judgment because it went under medicinal uses. Mm -hmm. Apothecaries sold it, doctors, offices, things like that moisturizer and cold creams were actually considered you know it it protected your skin from the weather and the damage that you caused via washing your face and and all the other things that you came into contact with the dirt it helped protect against dirt and and smoke things like that the miasma of the victorian era (laughs) smoke (laughs) <laughs> no, no, just the bad air. I'm, I'm referring to germs versus miasma. I was just thinking. Oh, and a lot of them use the same stuff we use today. Again, carryover. Rose, roses, rose water, almond oil, uh, elderflower, glycerin. All of this stuff is things that we put in our cosmetics and skincare to this very day because it's actually good for your skin. Glycerin, it's great for your skin. And oatmeal, by the way. I remember taking oatmeal baths as a kid. It's great for softening the skin. I, you get uh, like dry patches or poison eye. Poison I, I use lotion that has oat in it oh, because sure. it's so great for my skin. My skin loves it. It's like, <sighs> soaks it up. Yeah, yeah. As we said, you know, color came from plants or the, the Cochrane beetle. And, and that was used in things like powders, really, because powder is what gave color. A little bit of lip tints, too. 
but majorly in powders because lip tint was not something people really wore because again, it was associated with actresses and prostitutes. Although they didn't really wear it either, by the way. Just I think it's mostly referring to either the stage makeup or when you get into the Edwardian times, it's the film makeup mm-hmm. to actually enhance the expressions of one's face. That's true. Um, so, and also, you know, they, they used things like wax and oils, including the oil of sperm whales, by the way, just add a little tidbit there. Oh yeah. Ambergris was used for a ton of things. I mean, and and starch, starch was the main form of powder, like talcum powder. Oh yeah. Just like today. Very, very similar. I'm still not sure why we put wax. I mean, outside of maybe a lip balm. I'm not sure why we put wax in cosmetics because it is not good for your face, but, or your hair. Wax should also not be in your hair care. Do you know how many shampoos and conditioners, especially conditioners contain wax? Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, and by the way, zinc oxide, that was good discovered by, huh? Good for you. That's what's in sunscreen. Yes. Henry Tetlow was the one that discovered that zinc oxide was made a great white powder to give you that pale complexion because when it was exposed to like the gases and stuff from light sources like candles and your fireplace it didn't turn the color it didn't change the color of the powder which normally when exposed to those gases would turn like this light tingy gray which isn't a very good look. It makes you look sickly if you're using like a really gray powder on your face. The other interesting thing about the lead paint, and if you've seen pictures or watched documentaries about Elizabeth and her use of paint, you've probably seen this, but lead paint is like any other paint, even body paint, you put it on your face, it dries where you put it. And then when you smile or make any kind of expression, it cracks. And therefore, or, and then it continues to look even worse. If you've ever put body paint on your face for say a football game, (laughs) probably you can tell after it dries, if you make a face of any kind, it starts to crack and flake. Mm -hmm. And then there's a thing called face paint now. Yeah. Well, it was also very noticeable back then too, because you're out in public wearing this and your face starts to flake and crack. Not a good sign. Not a good sign of health. Oh, yeah. And what women would do is they would use a white powder like the zinc oxide powder to lighten your complexion. A powder mixed with a little bit of a form of pink, which which again, it originally started as that red that came and then lightened down. Pink would give that, that blushy, rosy color to the cheeks. And blue, actually blue powder was used to counteract the yellow color that came off of the lighting from candles. Just like we use color corrector today. We use different color correctors. We've got a green for, for, to tone down redness from acne and, and yellow and blue for other ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you come across, speaking of blue, about the drawing of veins? I don't know what specifically they use, but it was some sort of either blue stick or a blue powder. But to give the appearance of one's face of having even more transparency, the upper class 
because you could afford the, uh, all this higher end pale makeup would not only make their faces. And I think this started in the Regency era, but it definitely took off some more in the Victorian era, but you would put that lead paint on your face to make your face look incredibly pale, like you're about to pass out. And then to make it look even more transparent, they would take blue powder or some kind of blue paint or tint and literally draw veins on their face and neck over the, the makeup. That's a little bit more messed up than Uh-huh. Oh God. And that was seen as an acceptable thing for high society women to do because it made you look even more transparent and pale and pure. Weird but true. So they use these. They again eyeshadow was not really a thing. They did use a little bit of darkening for your eyebrows, like darkening color. They would use things like charcoal, burnt clove, things like that for the eyebrows. And sometimes they would bring that down to the lid just a little bit. But majority of the time, all they would do was take a little bit of castor oil and sweep it across the lid to bring a little bit of light there to make it kind of like like a glowy complexion but on your eyelids but it did not add color no I actually do that today I put not only castor oil in my hair because it does help with hair growth but if you also apply it to you can apply it to your eyebrows you can apply it to a mascara stick and use it as a Use it on your lashes. On your eyelashes. Yeah, it's not going to darken it, but it will help with hair growth and it will help with moisturizing. Yes, it does. We we use castor oil in a lot today. And then again, lipstick was that really controversial piece of makeup that uh, I said Cochrane beetles earlier. I meant cocktail. (laughs) I just realized that. Thanks for correcting me, Melissa. And what they would do is they would take, they would either use the colored powder, which they would, you know, use in, they didn't have a powder puff, but they would use like a little mesh bag and puff it onto the face. Like an old time 1950s kind of powder. Mm-hmm. I'm going to powder yeah, my but- nose. Some of this stuff, I think <laughs> they would also use that, that I think is now gaining traction nowadays because a lot of people are looking towards organic and Uh, all natural makeup as well as just general skin and hair care routines too beetroot yes beetroot was used as well as a color and what a lot of people would do is they would get like a liquor with the color basically a liquid form of the color they would boil the beetles or the flowers or the beetroot and get that color in that liquid and then they would kind of steep these little bits of gauze in it and that gauze would soak up that color and then they would lay it out to dry and then when they wanted to use it they would use it and it would they would wipe or dab a little bit of color from the gauze onto either their lips or their cheeks it was another form of cheek rouge as well so that's kind of how they also made lipsticks that lipsticks (laughs) unless they use unless they mix color with a form of wax or fat like lard would you say these were more or or cocoa butter would you say that these were more of lipsticks as we kind of know them today or more like a lip tint 
more like a lip tint because they did keep the tones very natural oh yeah they were all like that pinky red flush that we have in our lips today but it just made it stand out against the very very pale skin more that's really what it was for just to make it more flushed really and again it was very controversial because it was seen as something that prostitutes or stage women wore actresses I think another reason why they put glycerin and stuff then I think as we do now is gives you as well as oil but I think glycerin in particular kind of gives you that dewy glow which is a very youthful like appearance aesthetically a lot of people love that as well as being moisturizing that's makeup however we have to talk a little bit also about perfume so you know You've heard of Eau de Cologne, right? Oh, yeah. Well, the original Eau de Cologne, just like Eau de Cologne, that's the title of it, was that was the most popular and dominant scent in the time. Oh, yeah. Eau de Cologne. I didn't realize that Eau de Cologne specifically was a scent. I thought it was a concept. No. As in, it it was a scent. Oh, yeah. It's literally a thing from the Victorian era. It's still in existence today, but it's very, very minimal. We now have all the perfumes and actual colognes with a ton of scents in them. But Eau de Cologne was orange, orange tree flowers and, and bitters and water steeped all together, kind of boiled. And that's the scent. It's a very light scent. It's been basically watered down and very cheap, easy for everyone to buy. How much alcohol were in these? No clue. Because it kind of sounds like you're making a tonic. Kind of. And I mean an alcoholic drinking tonic, not a hair tonic. I know. But it's tonic. I mean, you're adding bitters to it. That sounds like a drink. It sounds like a Ryan Coke. Well, it's the varieties of orange blossom bitters. So it's talking about orange blossoms, only orange blossom bitters. And that's it. It just sounds like an alcoholic mixture. (laughs) Yeah, and don't forget the oils that were put in as well. Yeah. And during, even, this is also, this was at the beginning of Victoria's reign that this scent was the most popular. And then it faded out. (laughs) Perfume went through several phases. Actual complex perfume scents like we have today, perfume and cologne scents like we have today, came into fashion. Things with patchouli like we have today, geranium and... What's that other really, really bergamot? Huh. I thought you were going to go with lavender. And lavender? Rose. Hold on. I haven't gotten there yet. Oh. <laughs> I'm going in order here of when, what became popular at what time. Not bad. That's okay. But lavender did become popular, but later. And, and bergamot and lemon oil particularly became popular after Eau de Cologne. That became a really big thing. Also sounds like a delicious tea. It does, but it's actually a scent that we use today a lot too. Bergamot. Oh yeah. Oh, bergamot's oh yeah. Bergamot's a lot of stuff. And again, this is all stuff that, you know, pharmacists and, and chemists and doctors sold. So it was all under the medicinal, or you could make it on your own at home using lemon oil and bergamot oil. Cause that was always, it was cheaper to buy the oils and combine them with if you wanted to make it more like a paste you could you know like you know a little paste that you rub behind your ears Mm -hmm. and things like that again you would be using animal fats or or wax and you'd mix that with the oils 
and then bergamot went bergamot and lemon went out of fashion and then things like you were mentioning musk musk became popular patchouli spices like cloves all that stuff started to become popular scents and then they started to become even more and more complex like keep adding different ones to make the right different scent you know things like that and they they were actually they even started to make little glass vials to hold them in because it was used sparingly so they would have these little glass vials to hold your scent or perfume in or cologne whatever you want to whichever one this was that would be set on the vanity which i'll get into later kind of but imagine like a more you're you're using what melissa's holding up is like a sample perfume bottle that we have today imagine like a really intricate glass vial that has like a pattern into it like diamonds have like a diamond shaped pattern has been marked into it kind of i'll show you a picture oh more like a uh it looks looks like a little bottle teeny tiny bottle it's a it's like if you have a sample bottle of perfume and a apothecary a, a victorian blown glass apothecary kind of jar that also looks like a wine bottle yes something like that and then you mentioned lavender so after all those complex scents went out of style lavender came into fashion well lavender following bergamot and musk doesn't surprise me but we do when and, we get to the roses a lot of women started to pick lavender and do it themselves, you know, make their own little sachets and make their own little, they would boil the scent out of the lavender and the perfume and make, turn it into a perfume on their own and that kind of thing. That's basically what they did. And then, you know, soap became more, more of a thing and scents in general kind of slowly went out of fashion. And now they're a big thing again, as we know today. Yeah, with the soaps back then, most of the time it was literally just your basic ingredients for soap, or I think as they called it, as it's still called, Castile soap or white soap or vegetable soap. It's all more or less the same thing. Mm-hmm. But you also still had to be careful with the soaps too, because some of them still had lye in them. Because if you're going to use it for washing the clothes, okay, so it's kind of like today's stuff. There, There's a funny meme going on that's been circling around for a while about uh, men's care and women's care, where men's soap, you can use it for your beard, you can use it for your hair, you can use it for your skin, you can use it on the floor, you can use it in the bathroom, you can clean your mirror with it, you can put, you you, you could pretty much use it's a deodorant, shampoo, conditioner, face scrub, kind of all in one sort of a thing. But the women's care, this particular moisturizer is only for your left elbow. That's the meme that's been going on. But it's not untrue. Even for back then, there was a standard soap. And if you had one that there were some advertisements and I've got them pulled up that you can use for yourself, but you could also use the same soap for washing your laundry, which you don't want to do. Don't recommend it. No, really don't. But after that, now I'm going to talk about a little bit about the vanity layout. Hmm. Yes, a woman's vanity at the time. I think the woman's vanity was as important as her hair. Basically. Because if there was one thing that was incredibly important to the every Victorian lady, you're seeing this as you're pulling on your new, very shortly cropped, chopped hair. Oh, 
Yeah, there was a knot that was bothering me. <laughs> I, I just figured you were running through your fingers through your hair. So I, I was like, oh, yes, hair care. The crowning glory to the Victorian woman was her hair. And where do you take care of your hair? Your vanity. And privately, same thing with makeup. You did not put makeup on in front of other people. It was a sign that you were unhealthy and not doing anything good for yourself. You were of loose morals. Yeah. And, and uh, you, you never admitted to it, even though it was very clearly on your face. Yes. So. No, 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 no. The bird just actually crapped on me. This isn't makeup. <laughs> okay. So the setup of a woman's vanity at this time obviously included their perfume, their hairbrushes and combs, a jewelry box, one or two. Sometimes they would tuck them away in drawers, a glove box, and a manicure box for the nails. And of course, they had like the little jar of powder for, for their face. And in actual, actually, in order to hide that they had makeup on their vanity, some women actually used old prescription bottles to hold their makeup stuff, like cold creams and everything would be in old prescription bottles and it would look like they had just prescription bottles on their vanity instead of makeup stuff. Well, that's also not terribly surprising. Everyone was on medication back then too. If you weren't on laudanum, you were probably on opiates. If you weren't on those, you were on something else. Oh, opiates still exist to this day. Hmm. It's more like opioids, but that's everything I have actually. Shall we go over some of the uh, advertisements? Oh yes, I think you should start. Okay, it's gonna be in our source notes, but there is a website I found that has a very long list of various Victorian era and very early Edwardian era men and women's body care advertisements for soap. As I mentioned before, electric toothbrush and electric combs, shampoos, washes, uh, clothes washing. It's the website is called thisvictorianlife.com. It's going to be in the source notes. But I figured while we were talking about this, we might as well actually mention a handful of actual advertisements so you can get an idea of some of these that were going on. It's for some of them are funny. So let me see if I can find some for makeup because I know I came across one. That's just some basic tints. There's, where's that one I found that was hilarious. <laughs> okay, so here's, oh, oh, if this is what I think it is. Oh, all right. So this one is called Menon's Borated Talcum Toilet Powder. And I'm certainly hoping it doesn't actually contain borax. So this one actually says approved by the highest medical authorities as a perfect sanitary toilet preparation for infants and adults positively relieves prickly heat, nettle rash, chafed skin, sunburns, etc. removes blotches, pimples, and tan makes the skin smooth and healthy, delightful after shaving and a decorated 10 box sprinkler top 25 cents. And where is that one I found that was hilarious? Oh, okay, here we go. So another thing that was very popular, I know I'm going to bring this up at some point in a weird, no, no, I'm sorry. This is going to be in a section called fashion fad that I will have for a special thing coming up later. Um, but 
You've probably seen some people lately nowadays that have exfoliating brushes, and I don't mean just for the shower, and they will exfoliate their body, a dry brushing. That came into very, very popularity, uh, a very big popular thing to do in Victorian times. In fact, there were full-on apparatuses for these things, but it died out really quickly, <laughs> about as quickly as it came in, it went out. But this particular ad is for a complexion brush, and it says, has done more to win a race and keep a pretty face more than anything known. Oily, sallow skin. After using your complexion brush for six weeks, I have surprised myself and my friends with a healthy complexion. Wrinkles. A lady 60 years old has succeeded in removing the wrinkles from her neck, and many other ladies have caused them to disappear from their faces by using our complexion brush regularly. Development. A handsome neck is one of the most, is a principal point of a beauty in a woman. A lady tells us of a friend who has developed a thin spare neck to one of the roundness and, and beauty by the regular use of our complexion brush. For bathing, it will be found as a luxury for both old and young. The flat-ended teeth by their compact arrangement remove the dead cuticles and increase circulation wonderfully. So technically, yes, an exfoliation brush, a lot of these, okay, in case anyone doesn't know, so there was absolutely almost no regulation in the running of these kinds of businesses or any businesses for the most part in the Victorian times. The FDA, I don't even think it was thought of long before the late 40s, early 50s, but it did not actually become an actual department, government run department until the late 40s, early 50s. So until then, you did not have a lot of regulations on these. You could actually say that your product does almost anything like a snake oil salesman and it does nothing or it makes the problem worse but you say oh use this lead paint or mercury has been used for thousands of years for the beauty of women use it for yourself too but obviously you don't want to put mercury anywhere near on yourself let alone on your skin or in your body so some of these are pretty interesting because they'll, they'll say things like that oh okay here we go so I don't know if this is the same Pons as in Pons cold cream that we mentioned earlier, but it's called Pons extract. And this is kind of what I was getting to. This is a sort of a one, a, 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 a an everything product, but not actually probably an everything product. And it says invaluable for burns, sunburns, diarrhea, chafings, stings of insects, piles, sore eyes, and sore feet. I don't know that I want to use the same anything for diarrhea that I also want to use on my eyes. Mm -hmm. Ew. Right. Yeah. I, it says extract. So I don't know if it's like a cold cream where it's a, or if it's a liquid or if it's an extract as an oil, I'm, I'm, it doesn't specifically say. And it says the wonder of healing for piles used with Pond's extract ointment. It's the greatest known remedy for burns, scalds, wounds, bruises, and sprains. It is unequaled, stopping pain and healing in a marvelous manner for inflamed and sore eyes. Its effect upon these delicate organs is simply marvelous. All inflammations and hemorrhages yield to its wondrous power. For ulcers, ulcers, or open wounds, toothache, faceache, bites of insects, sore feet. It acts upon these. It's most remarkable. Caution. Pond's extract has been imitated. The genuine has the words Pond's extract on it. 
blown in the glass and our picture trademark is surrounding a buff wrapper. None other is genuine. Always insist on having Pond's extract. Take no other preparation. $1.75. I'm sorry, 50 cents up to $1.75. It, it, it's just uh... weird. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, I've, oh, okay. These two, I love these two. This is hilarious. <sighs> it's called Berries Trichophorus. T-R-I-C-O-P-H-E-R-O-U-S. Trichophorus, I'm presuming. And it says for the hair and skin. And it looks like it's both for children and adults, at least for women, because there's pictures of girls brushing their hair. And it says an elegant dressing prevents baldness, gray hair, and dandruff, makes the hair grow thick and soft, cures eruptions and diseases of the skin, heals cuts, burns, bruises, and sprains. And then there's one for the adults. And it says when the hair becomes thin or dry and harsh from sickness or other cause, use berries trichophorus. Where baldness has already taken place, rub berries trichophorus briskly into the bald place and also around the roots of the remaining hairs. And if the roots are not entirely extinct, the hair will revive and grow again. And nature, with the assistance of art and labor, will restore the hair, add luster to its beauty and appearance. And then there's also one for the men. And it says prevents the hair from falling off, eradicate scurf. I don't know what scurf is, dandruff, et cetera, et cetera. Keeps it in the most beautiful condition is warranted to cause new hair to grow on bald places. And then this next one is fantastic. Parker's hair basalm. This is again, one of those things you can put any kind of miracle claim on it uh, because there's no regulations. Cleanses and beautifies the hair, promotes a luxuriant growth. Okay, I can go with those two. Never fails, are you ready for this one? To restore gray hair to its youthful color, cures scalp diseases and hair falling. How? Right. It doesn't- Other than dyeing your hair, your hair is gonna be gray once it starts going gray. I have gray hair. I color my hair, but I like coloring my hair. Yes, you do. I like fine colors without bleaching my hair. I just mostly keep it red. But yeah, yeah, there is nothing natural. As far as I know, a concoction of natural stuff that, or any kind of stuff, the outside of a chemical hair dye that not, okay, I also don't know any kind of hair dye that promotes hair growth and cures scalp disease and make sure that your hair doesn't fall out. A lot of the ones nowadays will also, even though they'll have ammonia in them, unless you get ammonia free, a lot of them like Garnier, I think it is, will have avocado oil or argon oil or something mixed in. So your hair stays soft because of the chemicals in it. So that'll cover the gray, but it will not restore your hair to its natural color, permitting no grays ever the rest of your life in your hair. That's not how life works doesn't exist or work like that and this is one that's called sozodont and it's i think it's using pearls we use those today we grind pearls up and put it in ingredients for your teeth and skincare skincare i give it because you can put it and it'll give you sort of that luster i'm i'm I think that this sozodont is actually a toothpaste with pearl extract or ground pearl in it but you don't tell me what's also the thing that a lot of these 
a lot of these just general everyday care products for both men and women also didn't tell you the ingredients because they weren't required to as well. Unless it actually states on the front, it could say no harmful ingredients, but it still couldn't say arsenic because arsenic was not considered a harmful ingredient. Well, neither was mercury. That wasn't known back then. That's true. It was known to some people, but it was not known as a whole. There were plenty of people that said, don't use arsenic, just like people back then knew, or at least certain scientists and doctors. I mean, they found out in the very early 1800s that tobacco is very harmful for you and causes cancer, but that didn't stop people from buying it. It still doesn't stop people from buying it, but they knew even before the Victorian times that tobacco was harmful for you and kills you. And they tried to make it public but it didn't work. And it actually just got worse in, until about 20 years ago. Money is more important. Okay. All right. This is another one I have. Okay. Okay. I'll just read, I'll, I'll read off a couple more, but uh, to our listeners, you have to just check out this, this website. So this is one <laughs> again, just that, 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 that miracle care. So this one, uh, quote, your life is in danger while your blood is impure, gross food, careless personal habits, and various exposures render miners, loggers, hunters, and most frontiersmen peculiarly subject to eruptive and other blood diseases. You can put anything on these advertisements. The best remedy is Ayers sarsaparilla, which is a root used in making root beer. Yeah, it's like using licorice root to make uh, something like anise, which is, okay, no, licorice root is a thing. Anise is a whole different thing. Like if you were using licorice root, you're not having any of my salmiaki, so stay away. (laughs) You wouldn't like it anyway. But uh, licorice root is used to make licorice flavored candy. It's just not going to end up being black because that's an additive. But sarsaparilla is kind of like that. Sarsaparilla is a root and it's used typically to make sarsaparilla flavored drinks so i'm not sure if air sarsaparilla is a drink i can't tell the the, it's really just there's this can't like these two miners one smoking a pipe reading a pamphlet that says airs medicine another guy in bed who looks like he's ill next to a box that says airs medicine but it says the best remedy to blood diseases and eruptive blood diseases whatever that means the best uh, remedy is air sarsaparilla, a powerful alternative. This medicine cleanses the blood through natural channels and speedily affects a cure, whatever that means. No clue. So this next one, <laughs> since we're talking about skincare, how to cure skin and scalp diseases with the cuticura remedies. The most distressing form of skin and scalp diseases with loss of hair from infancy to old age are speedily, economically, and permanently cured, false advertising, by cuticure remedies when all other remedies and methods fail. Cuticure, the great skin cure, and the cuticure soap, an exquisite skin beautifier, prepared from it externally, and cuticure resolvent, the new blood purifier, internally cure every form of skin and blood disease from pimples to scrofula, which is coming up at some point in weird history. So stay tuned for that. Sold everywhere. Price cuticura, 50 cents. Soap, 25 cents. Resolvent, $1. Prepared by Potter Drug and Chemical, Boston, Mass. 
And it says, pimples, blackheads, chapped and oily skin prevented by cure to cure soap, relief in one minute for all pains and weaknesses. Uh, use Q to Cure anti-pain plaster, the only pain-killing plaster. What in the world is that? I'm sorry, what? Rupture? Okay, there's an, there's an ad for a electromagnetic belt truss, and just the top of the ad says rupture, but it doesn't specify how to use it or what it's used for. It just says durable, powerful, and comfortable, and effective. Over 9,000 cured electric belts for diseases. Oh, there's a, this is, this is interesting. So gout was a very common thing back then. And it's usually due to a very, a, a, a long time consumption of bad foods or high fat foods, like, like fried foods, kind of a thing. That's all I need. Very good example. I mean, high fat and very rich, creamy, high end foods. So this one says gout question mark, use shearings, Piper is in water. Again, there's no comment as to what's in it. And it says gravel, calculus, lazy liver, and all uric acid troubles will cure it. I don't know what lazy liver is, but okay. okay. What's calculus other than math? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. I think we're going to end it here because I know that we've certainly gone over time <laughs> that we normally have. But I had to read these. But again, the website is thisvictorianlife.com. There is a link in our show notes. Oh, that's just, oh, okay, okay, hold on. I'm sorry, just, just, I got to end on this. There is a, you, okay, there's, there's bobby pins and there's U pins. U pins are like bobby pins, but they're literally shaped as a U. And there is a maker of what they call the D-long hook and eye, which is a U pin, but there is, there's a rhyme for it and their advertisement. And I just have to share it. Little Bo Peep, she fixed her sheep so fate could not abuse them. Stuck Cupid hairpins in their tails and then they couldn't lose them. It's in the twist. I don't know, but I think we'll end this here. I know we've gone over time. But again, we had a lot of fun with this. Thank you for everyone that voted on the poll. We will have another one out next month. We'll announce it ahead of time. And stay tuned. I'd don't know when because we'll we still have to record it but we will have a bonus episode on victorian hair care for sure that'll do for this episode of history explains it all and we hope to see you next week as we continue to track through history too. explain, explain it, all. it all bye, bye.